0: Welcome to The Savage Truth with Cicely Davis. I am your host, Cicely Davis. Welcome back to The Savage Truth, I'm Cicely Davis. Please like, subscribe, share, and leave a positive review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, and Rumble as we delve into this very special season, Christmas. Around the world, Christmas is known as a season filled with love, joy, happiness, and generosity everyone genuinely seems to be happier at Christmas time. Families and friends gather for annual dinners to fellowship, holiday decorations are placed and hung inside and outside of the home to get into a Christmas spirit. And radio stations begin to play Christmas music to evoke a sense of holiday cheer in the hearts of their listeners at work, in stores, and of course at home. So what are your traditions? How do you celebrate with your friends and family? Do you bake cookies? Do you swap gifts by way of Secret Santa or conduct some version of White Elephant? Does St. Nick show up for the children? Do you stuff stockings and send that yearly family Christmas card with the family photo? Are you a Christmas Eve or Christmas Day family celebrator? Personally, my husband and I, we gather the kids in our home. I prepare a Christmas dinner usually a roast with all the traditional fixings, cookies and eggnog and pie and candy, and we exchange gifts. We gather around the fireplace and we begin to pull gifts from under one of my three immaculately decorated Christmas trees, usually the main one in the living room. For my extended family, which is quite larger, we would give gifts to my in-laws and look forward to the white elephant tradition in the end. See, my husband's side of the family is rather large, so it's always a fun time. And every year, we watch National Lampoon's Christmas, loving, of course, the scene when Snot, the Rottweiler, hacks under the dinner table and chases the squirrel around the house. That's Christmas Eve. On Christmas Day, my husband and I, we swap our personal gifts to each other. Now, I have to say, I always look forward to this day because I always come out better on the gift side. My husband is a wonderful gift giver, and I can always count on something sparkly or something on the more expensive end. Then we watch an old movie and we have Christmas dinner. But what about you and your traditions? What is it that gives that feeling of joy and happiness to you and your family? The Christmas season for people who identify with the Christmas faith is a time to honor the birth of Jesus Christ, Savior of the world. And to remember the importance of this monumental event in human history. Christmas time is an inclusive season. You see, America is formed on Judeo Christian foundation, and I can't help but think of my Jewish friends during this most special season. Considering the most beloved and recognized Christmas music was t- written by Jews Winter Wonderland, Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas, and White Christmas, all written by Jews. Oh, and let's not forget that one little detail. Jesus was also Jewish, but, but I digress. Retail stores, coffee shops, schools, colleges, and the workplace all hold some kind of nostalgic essence to acknowledging Christmas. This also includes the White House. Over the years, White House holidays have evolved from an intimate family affair in private quarters to the national celebration that it is today. But through it all, some heartwarming traditions have developed and endured. In 1934, President Andrew Jackson threw an elaborate Christmas party for his children and grandchildren. It included games, dancing, and a grand dinner that culminated into an indoor snowball fight with specially fashioned cotton balls. The first tree was presented in 1889. Prior to the 20th century, Christmas at the White House was celebrated privately. The first White House Christmas tree, pre-electricity, was decorated with candles and toys and placed in President Benjamin Harrison's living quarters. In 1909, a blue Christmas was established. President William H. Taft was the first president to have a tree in the public portion of the White House. His children helped him decorate the first tree in the Blue Room. And today, the Blue Room still hosts the official tree one of many trees in the White House, and many presidents and their families have posed in front of it for their official Christmas photo. In 1961, a Camelot Christmas was the first themed Christmas at the White House. First Lady Jacqueline Kennedy started the tradition of selecting a theme of the official White House Christmas tree. That first year, she selected the Nutcracker Suite, a popular theme. In 1979, President Jimmy Carter was the first to officially recognize the Jewish holiday of Hanukkah when he lit the nation's first national menorah. Today, the presidential lighting ceremony continues and the national menorah is part of the pageant of peace. And of course, I have to mention a chocolate Christmas. No, I'm not referring to the Obamas. After all, it is a tradition that began in the 1960s. A highlight of the holiday decorations has become the white chocolate replica of the White House. Today, visitors will find this delicious architectural feat, which can weigh up to 300 pounds and take months to create, displayed in the state dining room. Some of the most memorable of a Christmas decor, in my opinion, was presented by former First Lady Melania Trump. Elegant and tasteful were the decorations in 2020, with 62 Christmas trees, 106 wreaths, and more than 3,200 strands of lights and 17,000 bows. That, of course, is in comparison to Jill Biden's attempt to recreate the nutcracker scene, but with a twist. Now, we have some footage, let's take a look. Now, for some who are avid lovers of the ballet, they found this to be charming. Others remarked the White House went from a scene of cocaine to acid, while others said it reminded them of the Hunger Games. Either way, I found the symbolism glaring. People dance and spin, they tap dance and they twirl, with Joe Biden nowhere to be seen. Melania's theme was called an all-white Christmas, thereby, of course, making Jill Biden's anti-white Christmas because of the performing company hired to dance the White House halls. The dancing group, Dorrance Dance, founded by artistic director Michelle Dorrance, a white liberal woman, supports critical race theory, Black Lives Matter, the Black Panthers, and the 1619 Project. Oh, and they also want to abolish prison and defund the police. The president of the dance company, Michelle Dorrance, had this to say in the honor of Christmas traditions and contributions to this year's White House contribution. It is from this place of white privilege that I invite you to join me in lifelong anti-racism work. Understanding how deeply embedded white supremacy, racism, and colonialism is in our culture, it is paramount to understand our role as white people in perpetuating it and embracing our job to dismantle it. How festive. I wonder if the White House knew of Dorrance's stance on these issues. Does it seem at all that she was perhaps vetted? Hmm. You know, just something to think about, something to ponder. There's another Michelle who desires an anti-white Christmas. Woo. Michelle Wu, Boston mayor. She's Asian, but if you're white, you weren't invited to her Christmas party. A Michelle Boston staffer with pronouns in her name sent an invitation to the city council members in Boston, and I quote, on behalf of Mayor Michelle Wu, I cordially invite you and guests to the Elected of Colors Holiday Party, meaning this is indeed a segregated party where only electeds of color were allowed. What does that mean, by the way, electeds of color? But the Mayor Wu, she made a mistake. She didn't mean to invite everybody. And the email went out to everybody, whites included. And so, approximately 15 minutes later, the staffer said, Oops, sorry, whites, you cannot attend. This is a non white party, no holiday cookies, eggnog, or festive holiday dinner for you. So, the seven white Boston City Council members were uninvited, except one, Wu's husband, who is white. He got to attend as the token white to the party. Apparently, He got to attend the Christmas party. So even to her own rules, they're broken by her white husband. I guess he got to attend as one of the good ones. Not sure what that plus one policy was, but we'll have to look into that a little later. This, of course, is blatantly racist, but Michelle Wu had an excuse, and I quote, I think we've had individual conversations with everyone so people understand that it was truly just an honest mistake that went out in typing of the email field. And I look forward to celebrating with everyone that the holiday parties that we will have besides this one as well. So it is my intention that we can again be a city that lives our values and create space for all kinds of communities to come together, blah, 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 blah. So the city council members of color will get two Christmas parties and, and the white council members will only get one. Wu then is of course pro segregation, but there was an email falter that no one was supposed to know. So clearly the honest mistake was the email send, not the racially segregated party. This is mayoral leadership in Boston. Here's the savage truth. Who broke the law. Separate but equal was banned in the 1950s. We're talking about constitutional law. You know, the contract signed by our founding fathers that provides the policies and terms that governs this exceptional country. Massachusetts law prohibits, and I quote, making any distinction, discrimination, or restriction in admission to or treatment in a place of public accommodation-based on race. This is clear breach, clear segregation, clear racism by the left on the left and to the detriment and exclusion of the white Boston City Council members as carried out by the mayor. Blatant racism is unacceptable by any party. Those white council members deserve eggnog. They deserve holiday sugar cookies and holiday parting gifts like all the other members. A no whites party is a revert back to segregation, a grave and dark time in our society to which the democratic party claims to be so adamantly against. And yet, time after time, after time again, the proof seems to always show in the pudding. This is still the party of slavery, it's still the party of the KKK, still the party of Jim Crow, and still yet in 2023, the party of segregation. Fortunately for us rational thinking, non-racist Americans who actually care for others, we get an opportunity in about 11 months to get this country back on track and vote leaders and a president who cares for all Americans, where they get invited to the party, drink the eggnog, and eat the sugar cookies. Can't wait. I want to take a little time to reflect for a moment on the spirit of Christmas. For me... The song Silent Night is the most moving song that captures the blessings of Christmas. I can listen to it in any language as its melodic and simple lyrics always speak to me. And I remember the first time I heard it as a child in church, and it spoke to me the same way each time thereafter. Silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright. Round young virgin, mother and child. Holy infant, so tender and mild, sleep in heavenly peace, sleep in heavenly peace. There are, of course, two more beautiful standas, most of you knowing them well. For me, it truly captures the reason for the season. For me, Christmas is about hope, the hope of Jesus and a hope for mankind. I would like to share a story with you. A little-known story, I feel, addresses the miracle of Christmas and the hope for mankind. And this story is a small story that takes place in the unlikeliest of places, a very large and violent battle, the Battle of the Bulge. A battle in which nearly 16,000 American soldiers would lose their lives. Another 60,000 would be wounded or captured. It was the costliest battle the United States would ever wage in any war. It was near dark and three American soldiers were stumbling through the deep snow of the forest. The soldiers were lost and had spent the last three days hiding from German patrols as they tried to find their unit. They were hungry, frostbitten, and one of them had been shot. The men were desperate and tired and they feared their friend was dying. And then they smelled smoke. Cautiously, they crept along until they caught sight of smoke rising from a curious lone cabin. The sight of the cabin filled them with fear and hope, and they could see the faint orange glow of candles inside. Huddled together in desperation, they decided what to do. Slowly, they crept forward, rifles ready. It was Christmas Eve, 1944, in the Hurtkin Forest. Inside the small cabin lived Fritz Finken and his mother, Elizabeth. Fritz's father had sent him and his wife to a small hunting cabin to hide from the war. You'll be safe in the woods, his father had told him. Fritz was 12 years old. But now, explosions of artillery shells, the buzz of warplanes, and the rattle of tanks shattered the safety of the forest, and they found themselves in the middle of the Battle of the Bulge. Nine days before Christmas, Germany, in a last-ditch effort to turn the tide of the war, launched a surprise German offensive with 30 divisions storming out of the nearby Ardennes Forest. The Allies, caught by surprise, violently tried to repel the rapid advance of the German army, all while a vicious winter blizzard bore down around them. Fritz and his mother were preparing a meager dinner when they were surprised by a knock on the door. His mother quickly blew out the candles. She and Fritz approached the door and opened it slowly. Before them stood two armed American soldiers. A third laid bleeding in the snow, unable to walk any further. None of the Americans spoke German, but one spoke French and communicated with Elizabeth. Despite knowing they could be shot for harboring enemy soldiers, Elizabeth motioned the Americans into the cabin. They carried the wounded man onto a bed and Elizabeth attended his wounds as best she could. With the bleeding stopped, the Americans relaxed. Fatigue took hold of their bodies as they sat in chairs near the fireplace. The soldiers couldn't believe their luck. Truly, this was a Christmas miracle. As Elizabeth went back to preparing their dinner, She told Fritz to bring more potatoes and a chicken, and then there was another knock at the door. Fritz hurriedly opened it, expecting to see more lost Americans, and instead found four heavily armed German Wormack soldiers. He quietly motioned for his mother, who calmly joined the men outside, closing the door behind her. The German corporal greeted her warmly. Merry Christmas, he said. We have lost our regiment. May we rest here until daylight? Of course, she replied. We have warm food cooking and you can have your fill. But, she added, we have three other guests inside who you may not consider friends. Americans, demanded the corporal. Yes, she answered. They are young lost boys much like yourselves. You could all be my sons. One of them is badly wounded and fighting for his life. Like you, they are tired and hungry. This one night, she raised her voice, pleading, this Christmas night, let us forget about killing. The German corporal stared at her without speaking. Enough talking, she exclaimed, clapping her hands together. Please put your weapons on the wood pile before the others eat your dinner. Hesitantly, the Germans placed their weapons on a woodpile. As Elizabeth retreated inside, she retrieved the Americans' guns, placing them also near the woodpile. The four Germans cautiously entered the cabin. They encountered the Americans, and a nervous standoff ensued, neither side knowing what to expect of the other. As they faced off, Fritz's mother quickly took command and assigned task of making chicken soup to the soldiers. Cautiously they fell to their individual duties. When the wounded American moaned, one of the Germans went to his bed. The two Americans froze. Looking at them, he replied in broken English that he had been a medical student before the war as he removed a first aid kit from his backpack and kindly treated the soldier. With this, the tensions eased. The soldiers began searching their backpacks for more food, finding bread and red wine to add to the supper. As supper was served, the soldiers took their seats on a bed in the cramped quarters. When everyone settled, Elizabeth bowed her head and began to pray. There were tears in her eyes as she began the words, come help, Jesus, be our guest. And soon the battle weary soldiers began to weep openly as she continued her prayer, for an end of the war and a return to home for all. Later, they shared photos and communicated as best they could, sharing their longing for home and loved ones. Near midnight, Elizabeth went outside and asked everyone to join her as they looked up at the stars of heaven and each gave silent prayer their own way. They stood there, joined in the moment's silence, bound in a kinship of hope, and on this night, they would share a gratefulness to be free from fighting and death, to share this one night of peace in a desperate time of war. That night, they would sleep side by side, all differences set aside. In the morning, they greeted each other as friends and the Germans helped the Americans craft a stretcher for the wounded man with makeshift poles and a tablecloth. The German corporal showed the Americans on a map how to find their way back to their own lines, and with handshakes, the parties departed in opposite directions. Elizabeth retrieved a Bible and opened to the Christmas story, tracing her finger across the passage. They departed into their own country another way, and there they watched as the soldiers disappeared back into the waiting war in the forest. Fritz Winken first recounted this tale in a Reader's Digest article in 1973. Later, it was part of an Unsolved Mysteries TV segment, which ultimately resulted in their reunion with one of the American soldiers, Robert Blank. Robert Blank was living in a nursing home in Maryland. He was now 76 years old and in poor health, a long way from the young American soldier who Fritz had met in 1944. Fritz was now 64, And he had flown to Maryland to meet the last survivor of this incredible moment of humanity, a time captured forever in a 12-year-old boy's memories, a night that went beyond war and showed that peace and kindness can be as simple as sharing bread. On this one night in a solitary cabin in the woods, the war paused briefly and three American soldiers and four German soldiers celebrated Christmas Eve with Fritz Finken and his mother, Elizabeth. Tears filled the man's eyes as recognition erased years and transported them back to a shared Christmas miracle. A miracle that happened in a snowbank cabin in the woods of the Hurtgen forest. A private night, a silent night, the two men shared and yet had kept mostly secret for so many years. And it began with the knock on the cabin door. I pray for each of us as Americans to find our own way home, to find our way back to our foundation as a republic, to remember and cherish those who have given all to this great country and pray that it has not been in vain. So on this Christmas night, I urge you, to wish goodwill towards mankind and pray for peace that transcends our differences so that we may bring forward together as Americans, a better future. Merry Christmas and God bless you all. Please like, share, subscribe, and leave a positive review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. And for this Christmas, remember, be bold, be strong, be faithful, be true. I'm Cicely Davis. Till next time. The Savage Truth with Cicely Davis is a production of Front Page Magazine and the David Horowitz Freedom Center. Reproduction of this podcast without express written consent is prohibited.